ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय सो इट्स जनवरी फोर्थ In Auckland, New Zealand, we're reading from Shrimad Bhagavatam, Canto 2, Chapter 3, entitled "Pure Devotional Service: The Change in Heart." And we're particularly reading a verse about the change in heart, a very well-known, famous, scary verse in the Bhagavatam. So I was supposed to speak on this verse. I'm like, no. This is text 24. This is a very long purport. ृदयेदिकारोत्रेजलुहेशुहर्षा हरिनामेय ृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदयृदय
which riyamanai in spite of chanting harinama the holy name of the lord deyai by concentration of the mind na does not vikriyata change ata thus yada when vikaraha reaction netre in the eyes jalam tears gatra ruheshu at the pores harshaha eruptions of ecstasy so let's listen to this translation very carefully because I'd like us to try to understand exactly what it's saying here. Translation. Children are fine, by the way. It's just, yes, I'm absolutely 100% sure. I don't even hear them, practically speaking. Okay, just, and unless somebody else is really upset them. If they scream, you have to take them out. But if they're just being children, it's fine. So just like, just be peaceful. Translation, certainly that heart is steel-framed, which, in spite of one's chanting the holy name of the Lord with concentration, does not change when ecstasy takes place, tears fill the eyes, and the hairs stand on end. So can someone tell me, what is this verse saying? Can you say this in your own words? What is Sukadeh Goswami saying? Yes. Okay, our hearts are hardened if we can't experience Krishna the Holy Name. Okay. Somebody else? Krishna's Holy Name is supposed to make us ecstatic. Yes, okay. Yes? Our hearts are so steel, we can't relish the holy name of the Lord. Okay. Can someone describe the person in this verse? What are they doing? They're doing what? Huh? Well, they might be lamenting. <laughs> Yes? Okay, it's not specifically said mechanically, but that's a, that's a good um, extrapolation. But specifically here in the verse, what are they doing? They're chanting. What else are they doing? We have deyai. What does deyai mean? Concentration of mind. So they're not... They're not just chanting with the mouth. They're chanting with jnana. Jnana means what? Very concentration, meditation. So they're, they're, they're really meditating on the holy name. They're not chanting just with their mouth. They're also chanting with their mind. They're deeply meditating. And what are they experiencing, this person in this verse? Tears are coming from their eyes. And what other symptom is there? The hairs are standing on end. And what are they feeling? 
They're feeling ecstasy. Let's try to have this very clear. This person is chanting, not only with their mouth, but also with their mind. With their mind. Dayam. Not with their heart, actually. With their mind. The concentration of the mind. They're in, they're, in, they're in some kind of meditation. And in this meditation, they're feeling... What are they feeling? They're feeling ecstasy. And how is this ecstasy demonstrated? Tears and hair standing on end. But what is not happening? The heart has not changed. Okay, so this is a person... They're chanting, they're concentrating, they're crying, their hairs are standing on end, they're in ecstasy, but what has not been touched is the heart. Can somebody tell me a person in the Bhagavatam, very famous person in the Bhagavatam, who epitomizes this verse? He was chanting prayers. He actually saw the Lord. He had all the symptoms of ecstasy. He experienced bhava, but his heart didn't change. Hmm? No, Dhruva's heart changed. Yeah, Indra's a, I haven't thought of him, but yeah, Indra's a good example. When he was offering prayers after Govardhan Leela, yeah, a very good example. But his heart didn't change. He experienced ecstasy, but his heart didn't change. Who else? Saw the Lord, was chanting his name, was experiencing ecstasy, but didn't change his heart. Not Hirani Kashyapu, he didn't have any ecstasy. No, Daksha. It says that Daksha experienced bhava. But his, his heart didn't change. Um, when, we, uh, when we are studying the Srimana Shiksha, we'll be discussing also this problem. So this is the... This is the problem discussed in text 7 of the Sri Manashiksha. Someone who's gotten, Manashiksha is a step-by-step guide uh, to bhakti. And once you've come to step, step 6, your mind is in ecstasy. But unless you've gone through sex, text 7, your heart hasn't changed. Okay, this is a, a very long purport. So we're not going to have that much time to talk about it today because it is a very long purport. But I'd like us to try our best to really uh, pay attention because I think perhaps some of us have experienced this phenomenon that we're chanting, we're concentrating, and we may be even crying and so forth, and we still have our ego, and we're like, what's wrong with me? Maybe some of us aren't even chanting with concentration. Maybe we're not even at that point yet. Some people are just chanting and they haven't concentrated the mind. Some people are chanting, they've concentrated the mind, but they're not experiencing ecstasy. Some people are chanting, they've concentrated the mind, they've experienced ecstasy, but the heart still hasn't softened.
Purport. We should note with profit that in the first three chapters of the second canto, a gradual process of development of devotional service is being presented. In the first chapter, the first step in devotional service for God consciousness by the process of hearing and chanting has been stressed, and a gross conception of the personality of Godhead in his universal form for the beginners is recommended. By such a gross conception of God through the material manifestations of his energy, one is enabled to spiritualize the mind and senses and gradually concentrate the mind upon Lord Vishnu, the Supreme, who is present as a super-soul in every heart and everywhere in every atom of material existence. So here Prabhupada is talking about what part of the verse? What part of the verse is he dealing with in this beginning part of the purport? The ability to do what? One is enabled to spiritualize the mind and the senses and gradually concentrate the mind upon Lord Vishnu, the Supreme, who is present as a super soul in every heart and everywhere in every atom of the material universe. So what is he concentrating on? Concentrating the mind, the word deyahai. Yes. Exactly. Yes, very good. The system of Pancha Upasana, recommending five mental attitudes for the common man, is also enacted for this purpose, namely gradual development, worship of the superior that may be in the form of fire, electricity, the sun, the mass of living beings, Lord Shiva, and at last the impersonal supersoul, the partial representation of Lord Vishnu. They are all nicely described in the second chapter. Remember, this is the third chapter. But in the third chapter, further development is prescribed after one has actually reached the stage of Vishnu worship or pure devotional service, and the mature stage of Vishnu worship is suggested herein in relation to the change of heart. In fact, this chapter is entitled, Pure Devotional Service, The Change of Heart. So Srila Prabhupada is telling us that up to the second chapter are the hearing and chanting, hearing and chanting in the first chapter, concentration of the mind in the second chapter, and now here in the third chapter, the change of heart. So just hearing and chanting without the mind is just bodily, yes? So bodily activities, mental activities, and heart would mean emotional activities. Going on with the purport, the whole process of spiritual culture is aimed at changing the heart of the living being in the matter of his eternal relation with the Supreme Lord as subordinate servant, which is his eternal constitutional position. Now, Srila Prabhupada is going to give here two symptoms that the heart is changing. So with the progress of devotional service going on reading here, the reaction of change in the heart is exhibited by a gradual detachment from the sense of material enjoyment by a false sense of lording it over the world and an increase in the attitude of rendering loving service to the Lord. So when your heart changes, what two things happen? Become detached from material enjoyment and the essence of material enjoyment is lording it over the world. The essence of material enjoyment is not eating ice cream. Do you follow what I'm saying? That, that's not the essence of material enjoyment or producing children or having a house. Or, 
That, that's not the essence of it. The essence of material enjoyment is the sense of lording it over the world. And what is the other symptom of a change of heart? You're increasing your desire for devotion. Particularly, he says, that the attitude of rendering loving service. So something changes in one's, one wants to render loving service. Not just service, because I may serve somebody in order to get some money from them or some, whatever. But the attitude of loving service. So these are the two symptoms of the change of heart. And Prabhupada says they both happen how or when. Gradually. says they both happen gradually. Generally. I mean, they could happen very quickly, but generally they both happen gradually. Okay, vidi bhakti, or regulated devotional service by the limbs of the body, going on the purport, namely the eyes, the ears, the nose, the hands, and the legs, as already explained herein before, is now stressed herein in relation to the mind, which is the impetus for all actions of the limbs of the body. So the connection of the external activities of devotion with the mind. So if we know the definitional verse of bhakti, anukulena krishna anu shilanam, shilanam is explained by our acharyas as being both actions of the body and actions of the mind, not only actions of the body. If we only do actions of the body for Krishna, we're not really doing bhakti. Because then we're just doing service. We're not really doing devotional service. Does that make sense to everybody? And in, in Nectar Devotion Chapter 2, Srila Prabhupada says that vidhi bhakti begins, sadhana bhakti begins with trying to always think of Krishna. Okay, going on. It is expected by all means that by discharging regulated devotional service, one must manifest the change of heart. So again, Prabhupada's going from the gross senses to the mind to the heart. If there is no such change, the heart must be considered steel-framed, for it is not melted even when there is chanting of the holy name of the Lord. So steel, of course, only melts at very high temperatures. We must always remember that hearing and chanting are the basic principles of discharging devotional duties, and if they are properly performed, they will follow the reactional ecstasy with signs of tears in the eyes and standing of the hairs on the body. These, these are natural consequences and are the preliminary symptoms of the bhava stage, which occurs before one reaches the perfectional stage of prema, love of Godhead. So now Prabhupada's talking about the next step, you know, that, that's involved, that if the mind is involved, there's going to be ecstasy, which will look, come across as tears, etc. But that has to lead to love. That may be a preliminary stage that bhava is starting to awaken. And, and please keep in mind that these stages are not absolutely distinct. It's not that even at Adushrada, there's nothing of the other stages. You follow? Even if you have Adushrada, you have like a little bit of prema. They're not, they're not absolutely distinct. So you might say, well, gosh, I'm hardly at an art in Avriti. How is it I occasionally have some of these preliminary stages of prema, or bhava, rather? So that, but that's there. But it's like immature. Hmm? We see that in ordinary life with children becoming adults. 
sometimes a child may say or do something that's very mature. Yes? A five-year-old child can all of a sudden say something that's very profound or do something that's very mature and selfless, and then the next minute they're acting like a child again. Or an adult can sometimes act like a child. Seen that, right? You can be 40, 50, 60 years old and sometimes act like you're two. So these are not, yes, we've seen that. Maybe we've done that. So this is, they're not absolutely distinct. Prabhupada saying, if the reaction does not take place, even after continuous hearing and chanting of the holy name of the Lord, it may be considered to be due to offenses only. So here Srila Prabhupada is assuming that other things are in order. Because there, we've seen that there can be other things. In other words, a person cannot be doing the process of hearing and chanting properly. Does that make sense? So there, you can be thinking you're doing bhakti and you're actually doing karma mishra bhakti or jnana mishra bhakti or yoga mishra bhakti or you're not chanting the Hare Krishna mantra properly. So here Prabhupada is saying, if those are being done properly and you're still not progressing in the change of, of heart, then the only thing left to consider is offenses. But definitely the only thing to consider is not offenses as far as a person's progress. There's other things to be considered as well. Prabhupada going on, that is the opinion of the Sandarbha. In the beginning of chanting of the holy name of the Lord, if the devotee has not been very careful about evading the ten kinds of offenses at the feet of the holy name, certainly the reaction of feelings of separation will not be visible by tears in the eyes and standing of the hair on end. And I thought it interesting that I have the sheet of the ten offenses sitting on the lectern here. Uh, what does Srila Prabhupada say this ecstasy is coming from? It's coming from feelings of what? Separation. That's a good thing to remember. Going on the purport, the bhava stage is manifested by eight transcendental symptoms, namely inertness, perspiration, standing of hairs on end, failing in the voice, trembling, paleness of the body, tears in the eyes, and finally trance. So these are the sattvika bhavas. The Nectar Devotion, a summary study of Srila Rupa Goswami's Bhakti Rasamrita, going on the purport, Sindhu, explains the, those symptoms and vividly describes other transcendental developments, both in steady and accelerating manifestations. Srila Vishnu Chakravati Thakur has very critically discussed all these bhava displays in connection with some unscrupulous neophytes imitating the above symptoms for cheap appreciation. So now Srila Prabhupada is going on to somewhat another topic and saying, there are people who fake these symptoms and they're not really experiencing ecstasy. In other words, these symptoms alone are not necessarily a sign that the mind is absorbed and that there's ecstasy. So going on. Not only Vishnu Chakravati, but also Srila Rupa Goswami treated them very critically. Sometimes all the above eight symptoms of ecstasy are imitated by the mundane devotees, prakritis sahajyas. Prakritis means the material energy. Sahajya means, uh, ja means birth, with birth. It means what comes very naturally or what comes very easily. So the sahajyas say, we want to do what comes naturally, what comes easily. That's there. That's what the word sahajya means. And prakritis sahajyas mean that these are still people who are materially contaminated. They're not doing what comes automatically from love. They're doing what comes automatically from maya, from the material energy going on. But the pseudo-symptoms are at once detected 
when one sees the pseudo-devotee addicted to so many forbidden things. Even though decorated with the signs of a devotee, a person addicted to smoking, drinking, or illegitimate sex with women cannot have all the above-mentioned ecstatic symptoms. But it is seen that sometimes these symptoms are willfully imitated, and for this reason, Srila Vishnu Chakravati accuses the imitators of being stone-hearted men. They are sometimes even affected by the reflect... Okay, we'll, we'll stop there. So this is one kind of stone-heartedness. One kind of stone-heartedness is somebody who's not even following the process. They're not following the authorized process of the Acharyas. And they're trying to jump to making a show. Uh, like one of our Acharyas has said, you know, you, you can't have a baby just by going into the delivery room and making noises. You know, that, that, that's not going to work. <laughs> so it, it's exactly like that. That's what they've compared this to. That, you know, actors are trained, if you're, if you're trained in acting, so you're trained to exhibit the emotions of a character that you, the actor, don't actually feel. Right? And especially in, in film, you know, on the stage, it's, you're a little distant from the audience, but especially in film where they really put the camera right on your face, right? Right on your body. All your detailed bodily movements are there. And if there was a disparity between your words and your body language, it would be very immediately apparent to the audience. I'm sure you've studied that only 7% of communication is with the words, 23% with the tone of voice, 70% with our body language. So if actors have an inconsistency between what they're saying, you know, Oh, I miss you so much, dear, when you are far... No, it doesn't work. Or even if you go, Oh, I miss you so much, dear, when you... It doesn't work. Immediately, we understand that it's phony. And we wouldn't be drawn into the drama. So actors are trained how to appear as if the emotions they're exhibiting are genuine. They're basically trained to be very good liars. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, that's what uh, uh, criminals also do that, what they call them con men. Con stands for confidence. They get your confidence in order to cheat you. So they, they learn how to, how to make it look like they're feeling something that they don't actually feel. And our normal radar that detects a difference between the person's actual position and their behavior becomes fooled, right? And all of us try to perfect this art in our social dealings. Otherwise, we would offend people left and right, isn't it? You know, well, dear, do I look fat? Oh, no, you look lovely, you know, and, and just, <laughs> right? If, if we didn't get, you know, children are very bad at this. Have you noticed that? The children, they, 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 uh, they don't know how to lie very well. Yes, children start lying somewhere between the ages of two and four years old. But they're really, really bad at it. No, I didn't take the cookie. You know, and we can immediately detect that they haven't gotten it right. 
So we try to become expert at this as adults, of not letting people see what's really going on in, in our heart. And some people think that this is how they can attain spirituality. Now, some people do this to be intentional cheaters. What Prabhupada talks about, you know, the professional Bhagavatam reciters, that they have no intention of going deeply into the Shastra. They have, they have no intention of loving God. They just see it as a good business. You understand? Well, that's a good business. I, I didn't actually read it, but I, I saw some article yesterday of this minister's son who had become a very famous preacher himself and one day discovered that he didn't believe in God. And then his wife said to him, you know, instead of being a professional Christian, why don't you become a professional preacher of atheism, which is what he's done. But I thought it interesting that she said a professional Christian. You know, that he had stopped believing, but it was his profession to be a minister. So some people may say, well, that, that's a good occupation. You know, I can, I can preach the Bhagavatam, I can, I can lead kirtans and get paid for it. And if I, show, if I practice as an actor to show some symptoms of ecstasy, then I'll get more money and more name and fame. So some people are doing this in a very cold-hearted way. But other people are not. Other people are genuinely thinking that this is the proper process. That if I just simply imitate the ecstasies of a devotee, that then I will be a devotee. And they're, they're just misled in that way. So these people are part of who's condemned in this verse. People who skip the process and they just try to imitate the behavior of an ecstatic devotee. And how do we know that they're in this category, whether they're doing it deliberately or innocently, whether they're doing it, say, in a demoniac way or in an innocent way? What's, their, what's the main giveaway that it's phony that Prabhupada's giving here? Well, their heart doesn't change, but what else? What are they doing? Yes. They're still engaged in intoxication, illicit sex, and, and so forth. So I think this is a, a... Hello, are you going to come help me? I think that this is a, a very important point for us to remember when we want to be careful not to be prakritis sahajyas. That one of the main... The, the main symptom of such a person is that they're not engaged in the process of bhakti. Because sometimes you see devotees who are afraid to be emotional in relationship to Krishna because they think, oh, well then I'll be like the sahajyas. But the main problem with the sahajyas is they're not following the process. Is this clear to everybody? It's not that we don't want to be emotional in bhakti. Then there's no bhakti. Okay, what's going on here? They are sometimes even affected by the reflection of such transcendental symptoms. Yet if they still do not give up their forbidden habits, then they are hopeless cases for transcendental realization. So there's a whole lot in that one sentence. That a person can be affected by what's called shadow or reflective ecstasy. Especially if you're in the association of, of advanced devotees or if you're in a holy place, there are what's called reflective ecstasies. And anybody, even a materialistic person, even an intentional theatrical actor who's trying to use the Bhagavatam or the holy name just to make a living, 
Even people like that, if they're around a pure devotee or in a holy place, they may get some reflection or shadow of actual ecstasy. What to speak of someone who's in the process? So someone who's actually in the process may have moments where they get a shadow or reflection of ecstasy that's around them. I mean, again, even materially, we sometimes experience the emotions and mentality of people we're with, even though it's not our real emotions, yes? And as soon as we're out of the situation, it fades. Now, Prabhupada says here, if after getting such a reflection or shadow, they still don't progress, then they're hopeless. The implication here, which also Prabhupada says in the Nectar Devotion, is that a shadow or reflection of ecstasy can turn into the real thing. So if we have some experience of ecstatic feelings because we're by a saintly, we're next to a saintly person, or we're in the dom, you know, we're somehow we take some prasadam. If even then we say, well, yeah, but I think I'm just going on doing what I'm doing, then we become practically hopeless. Even we've gotten an actual taste, not through our own efforts, but by mercy. If we don't become attracted to that taste and cultivate it so that we lose our attachment for material things, then what can be done? Is this clear? You know, we, we, get, we get some higher taste. person gets some higher taste. They actually experience something transcendental, and that's not enough to induce them to take up the process. Then what will induce them? What will induce them? It's like these demons who see Krishna face to face and they still don't surrender. Duryodhana sees the universal form. Oh, just a mystic power. Like Hiranyakashipu, he sees Nisingadev. And he just wants to kill him. So if, if we actually get a little touch from the Lord, which can happen even to a pretender, couldn't it? Because after all, they're touching, they're, they're associating with the holy name, they're associating with the Bhagavatam. It may happen. It may happen. And when it happens, if they just so, oh, well, that was, that was just some chemicals in the brain. That, that, that wasn't real. There's nothing spiritual. And they're hopeless. Okay, going on the purport. When Lord Chaitanya met Srila Ramananda Roy of Kavaur on the bank of the Godavari, the Lord developed all these symptoms, but because of the presence of some non-devotee brahmanas who were attendants of the Roya, the Lord suppressed these symptoms. So sometimes they are not visible even in the body of the first-class devotee for certain circumstantial reasons. So Prabhupada's now given two points. He's saying, first of all, people can imitate ecstatic symptoms, but they may be steel-hearted. Second of all, people may have these ecstatic symptoms, but they may not be exhibiting them. Okay, going on. Therefore, real steady bhava is definitely displayed. Now, now he's going to give the nine symptoms of bhava, different from the sattvika bhavas, different from the ecstatic symptoms. So what is the ultimate test that someone has attained, attained bhava. This is what he's going to give now. In the matter, go, reading, going on the reading, in the matter of cessation of material desires, shanti, utilization of every moment in the transcendental loving service of the Lord, of yarta kalatvam, eagerness for glorifying the Lord constantly, nama gane sada ruchi, attraction for living in the land of the Lord, pritis tad vasanti stale, 
complete detachment from material happiness, virakti, and pridelessness, manasuyata. One who has developed all these transcendental qualities is really possessed of the Baba stage, as distinguished from the stone-hearted imitator or mundane devotee. The whole process can be summarized as follows. The advanced devotee who chants the holy name of the Lord in a perfectly offenseless manner and is friendly to everyone can actually relish the transcendental taste of glorifying the Lord. Okay? So how to relish the transcendental taste? You have to be what? Friendly to everyone. And chanting without offense. To be chanting without offense and be friendly to everyone. Those two things. Do you think if you're just chanting nicely with concentration, but you're not friendly to everyone? So this is a reason why a person can chant with mental concentration and even experience the symptoms of ecstasy, but not have their heart melt. And this was the problem of Daksha and Indra, wasn't it? That's what they were lacking, correct? They weren't being friendly to everyone. We have hope, you know, hopefully uh, the minority is a small minority, but we have members of the Krishna consciousness movement who don't seem to get this point even theoretically. They think if somebody's doing something they consider to be wrong, that it's important for them to publicly criticize that devotee in every way possible. Yes, we have met such persons. And it's like, you know, even if that devotee you're criticizing is making some mistake, your attitude of criticizing them is much worse than whatever mistake they're making. Prabhupada said that even about Madhavisa, who was a sannyasi, had had a fall down with a woman. And Prabhupada said, those of you who are advertising his fall down and criticizing his fall down are doing something much worse than his fall down. So this attitude of being friendly to everyone. Going on, and the result of such realization is reflected in the cessation of all material desires, etc., as mentioned above. So then there'll be symptoms that you lose your material, gradually you lose your material desires and you increase your loving service to the Lord. Again, gradually. So it's not that the second one experiences some ecstasy, immediately all the material desires and all their loving services immediately manifest. But that should start gradually happening. Going on. The neophytes, due to their being in the lower stage of devotional service, are invariably envious, so much so that they invent their own ways and means of devotional regulations without following the acharyas. As such, even if they make a show of constantly chanting the holy name of the Lord, they cannot relish the transcendental taste of the name. Therefore, the show of tears in the eyes, trembling, perspiration, or unconsciousness, etc., is condemned. So here our acharyas say, what Prabhupada is referring to here is people who, again, they're not following the standard process, like some of these are the people who chant like Nitai Gaur, Radha Sham, Hare Krishna, Hare Ram, those kind of people. So they make show some ecstasy and so forth, but it's, it's not the bona fide process going on. They can, however, get in touch with the pure devotee of the Lord and rectify their bad habits. Otherwise, they shall continue to be stone-hearted and unfit for any treatment. 
So this is reflecting back to what Prabhupada said, that if pretenders and etc., if they get some reflective or shadow ecstasy by a devotee, they can come to the real thing. But if having that, they don't come to the real thing, then there's nothing can be done for them. Uh, finishing here, the purport, a complete progressive march on the return back home, back to Godhead, will depend on the instructions of the revealed scriptures directed by a realized devotee. So you've got to follow the process. This isn't just some emotional thing. Okay? Tat ashma saram ridayam dam yad harinam deyai na yada vikaro nete jalam gatra ruheshu harsha. Certainly that heart is still framed, which in spite of one's chanting the holy name of the Lord with concentration, does not change when ecstasy takes place. Tears fill the eyes and the hairs stand on end. So we've really, we've come to the time, usually end class. So I'm just going to very quickly just summarize this verse and purport. So spiritual culture is meant to change the heart. That's the, the point of spiritual culture. Why should we change the heart? Uh, because attachment to matter is the cause of all of our suffering. Anybody like to suffer? No. So all of our suffering is because we're attached to lording it over matter. This is, this is why we're suffering, because are we capable of lording it over matter? Does that work? We're basically trying to do something that is impossible and unnatural. And therefore, we're suffering. Whenever we try to do something impossible or unnatural, we suffer, yes? And uh, also, what is really happy for us is our constitutional position of love and love for our real self, the self of the self, the super self, the paramatma. That is our real position of happiness, which we can find in this world. Even if I love some other jiva, I feel happier than when I'm trying to lord it over matter. Isn't that a fact? If I have some affection for another jiva, even if it's a little ant crawling in my room or a family member, so I feel some affection, I'm much happier than if I'm trying to be the lord of the world. Correct? So this gives us some idea that real happiness comes in an attitude of loving service and misery comes from trying to be the lord of something I cannot be the lord of. So the, the reason we want to change our heart is we'd like to be happy. <laughs> Pretty simple. Prabhupada was asked, what's the purpose of life? He said, happiness or ananda. If I want to be happiness, then I want to have happiness, I have to go for love rather than lordship. I mean, we also see this even in our normal relationships. You know, when we get in an argument with someone, often it's because we're more interested in being the lord than being in love. Correct? I have to be right. And the other person has to say that I'm right. You know, I was mediating a a fight between a couple the other day. And the main essence of it was, I'm right and he's wrong. No, I'm right and she's wrong. That That was the essence of the whole thing. And when you looked at what they were arguing about, it was it was juvenile, really. You said this. No, I didn't. I said that. I'm sure you said this. I definitely didn't. Well, you calling me a liar? You calling me a liar? 
Who are you calling a liar here? I mean, it was just, you know, it was something like for five-year-olds. But this is, and then we become miserable, isn't it? I have to be right. I have to be right. And as soon as you got them to, you know, do you want to love each other or do you want to be right? I want to love each other. Well, is it okay? Can you just be wrong then? Can you just agree to let the, to say to the other person, okay, you know, maybe you're right. Okay, maybe you're right. And it doesn't really matter who's right. I didn't want to hurt you. No, I didn't want to hurt you. And then the whole thing's over. Have we all experienced this? Whether with a husband, wife, or children, parents, or brothers, sisters, or between the brahmacharis, or whatever, you know. As soon as we give up the lordship attitude, and we go to the affection attitude, we become happy. In order to maintain that all of the time, we have to have an affection attitude towards Krishna. It doesn't work if I just try to have an affection attitude towards other jivas without having an affection attitude towards Krishna, as we've discovered that we, we just can't maintain an affection attitude towards other jivas and giving up of lordship if we don't have our relationship right with Krishna because he's the center and the essence of everything. So that's why we want to change our heart. Now, how do we change our heart? And that's the only, you know, we could talk at length, which we don't have length, of all the other ways people try to be happy in the world that don't work. So what are the gradual steps to changing our heart? It's changing a certain attitude in the heart, isn't it? That my happiness comes from a loving service attitude rather than a lordship attitude. So because we've had this lordship attitude, probably for many, 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 many lifetimes, we resist changing it immediately and completely. We, we're, we, we don't want to do that. We still have some intellectual and emotional attachment to the idea that we're going to be happy by being a lord. And if we're going to have a loving, affectionate, service attitude, it's only going to be up to a point. We want to retain some lordship. You know, the main thing this couple was arguing was, he said that a wife has to do whatever her husband says all the time without any brain, just blind following. And I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that was the essence of the argument. So this is, you know, we're, I'm, not, I'm not saying women should be blind followers of their husband. That would be rather foolish. But this, this idea that I'm going to love you, but I have to retain my own lordship. Do you understand? Yes, I'll love you, but I won't really love you. So we, we take this idea to Krishna with another jiva that's actually intelligent. Because if you fully surrender yourself to another jiva, you're going to be disappointed. But with Krishna, that's not intelligent. With Krishna, if we say, Krishna, I'm going to surrender to you, I'm going to love you, but I'm still in charge of what's best for me, okay? You know, I, I still know what's best for me. and I'll follow you if I happen to agree with you, you know, but I want to maintain my... So we have this, yes? And therefore it's gradual. We have to gradually have faith that Krishna is the self of the self. He's my super self. So surrendering to Krishna is not really surrendering to an other. It's surrendering to the super self who has my best wishes in mind. And Prabhupada starts his purport by talking about that. How we meditate on the Lord as the super soul. We meditate on the Lord in every atom and within the heart. We get some sense that here is my best friend. 
So by seeing the, the by seeing the Lord in matter, by seeing the Lord in the universal form, by understanding the Lord as a super soul, which is where most religions end, we gradually start getting this idea, oh, maybe I can think of Krishna, maybe I can actually surrender to him. This purifies our senses and minds so that we have the ability to fix our mind on the Lord. Why don't we have the ability to fix our mind on the Lord? Because our mind is jumping to all of our false ego lordship stuff. Okay, this person criticized me. How am I going to get back at them? All right, I don't have enough money. This is how I'm going to get more money. This, you know, we're going to this. Our mind is jumping to all of past future things. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't overlord matter very well yesterday. How am I going to fix that? How am I going to do that for tomorrow? So in order to fix our mind, we have to get some sense of the Lord as our friend and all-pervasive some faith like that, then we can say, okay, this is where my shelter is. I'm going to be able to fix our mind. And Prabhupada says, we first do this in regulative bhakti. I just read some devotees say yesterday that it was they were talking about uh, Vishaka's new book, which I haven't read yet. It's called uh, Five Years, Eleven Months, and a Lifetime of Love. So I'm really looking forward to reading it. And the devotees were having a discussion about the book and they said, you know, Vishaka talked about how some of the devotees mistreated her, but still she stayed because of Srila Prabhupada's personal presence. And then someone said, well, it couldn't have been that because she stayed even after Prabhupada left the planet. And some devotees treated her very nicely. Then one of the other devotees said, well, the real reason that we're staying is because of the philosophy. And I thought that's the essence of Vaidhi Bhakti. That person, just with what they said, they have encapsulated Vaidhi Bhakti. I am engaged in Bhakti because I am philosophically convinced. I am intellectually, philosophically convinced that this is the right thing to do. So on the platform of Vidhi or Vaidhi Bhakti, one is serving Krishna due to intellectual, philosophical conviction, engaging the senses, and gradually engaging the mind. Now, what happens when the mind is engaged? When the mind is fully engaged in Krishna, uh, the mind goes into first the mode of goodness, which is a platform of peace and joy. From that mode of goodness happiness, Krishna says, one can be awakened to self-realization. So once the mind is still in goodness, then one can have enchanting in that way. One will start to experience the presence of the Lord and the existence of the soul, which brings about ecstasy, which then has symptoms in the body, these sattvika bhavs. Now, these, this ecstasy is supposed to melt the heart. And again, this melting of the heart is in two, negative and positive, that it just removes... The, you can think about making ghee. If you take butter and you melt it, so what happens is that the impurities leave the butter. There's two forms of impurities in the butter. One is in water. There's still some water in the butter. You know, when you make butter out of cream, if you churn butter out of cream, there's a liquid that comes out, which is actual buttermilk, especially if you used uh, cultured cream. So you get the solids and the liquid. But you haven't gotten all of the liquid out. Even though it's a solid chunk of butter, there's still liquids in there. There's also proteins. It's not pure fat. 
So when you melt the butter, the, li the liquids come out in the form of steam out of the pot, and the proteins rise to the top, and some of them rise to the bottom. Yes? And if you've made ghee, or maybe nobody makes ghee anymore, and you haven't the vaguest idea what I'm talking about. So the, the ghee solids go to the bottom of the pot, or they rise to the top, and you can skim them off the top. And then you end up with pure fat, you know, which you can then heat to a fairly high temperature, and it won't burn. Now, if you try to heat butter to a very high temperature, it will burn. And you know the ghee is done when it's clear, and it releases a very nice fragrance. So when you melt a butter-like heart, the impurities separate and they leave. The impurities leave and the clarity of love increases. So this is what should happen in that ecstasy. Now why does it not happen to someone like Daksha? Daksha followed the process. He followed a bona fide process. He engaged his senses. He was able to fix his mind. He was able to bring his mind to Satvagun. The Lord personally appeared in front of him. And Daksha's chanting these prayers to the Lord, and he's experiencing bhava, it says in the Bhagavatam, it's in the verse itself, that he experienced bhava, he experiences ecstasy. But the ecstasy didn't melt his heart. Daksha was holding on to this desire for lordship. He refused to let go of this desire for lordship. What's the cause of that? Ultimately, for him, it was offenses, wasn't it? He was offensive to Shiva. He was later offensive to Narada. But you could also say this is ultimately an, an act of our will. It's really an act of our choice. Please, please, we should not think, if I could see Krishna face to face and experience ecstasy, I would definitely surrender. We might not. We have to make the choice. And we're making this choice in little increments as we progress in bhakti, over and over again. Krishna shows us the happiness of bhakti. He shows us the misery of the world. And we have to choose. We will also talk about this with Manashiksha in terms of verse 6 about the problems of the mind. We have to choose. And there's nothing that can substitute for that. There's no magic, there's no blessings, there's no mercy that abnegates our need to choose. We'll be helped to choose by the Lord himself, by the devotees, by all the process of bhakti. We get help to make the right choice. But it, it always boils down to what is the choice of the jiva. That, that's the, the ultimate thing. That one can come all the way to bhava, one can come all the way to ecstasies, one can come all the way to seeing the Lord, and one always has the ability to say no. If we didn't have the ability to say no, we would be a, a table. We really don't want the ability to say no to be removed from us. We might think like that. We might think, really? Can't I just be, you know, forced? But all of us do things that we don't really want to do. Yes? Do we all have this problem? 
There's, there's, there's things we want to do that we don't do and things we don't want to do that we do. And we could even make a list. You know, these are the things I want to do today and these are the things I don't want to do today. But if you presented that list to another person, would you want that person to come into your house with a gun and force you to do your list? Would anybody like that? I wouldn't. Okay, Ramila, this is on your list for today. Do it. I'm like, hey, you know, I want to do it because I want to do it. I don't want to do it because you're there with a gun. You know, nobody wants to be forced. We want that ability to say yes or no. So ultimately this comes to a choice, and it's choices we're making. It's not just a choice we're going to make at Bhava. <laughs> it's a choice we make every day. Do I chant 16 rounds? That's a choice. Do I chant any rounds? That's a choice. Do I chant rounds with an effort to concentrate my mind? Or do I chant sloppy rounds? Am I doing the things in my life that would help me to concentrate my mind? Am I reading Prabhupada's books? Prabhupada makes a direct connection between reading his books, hearing his books, and being able to chant good japa. He says if, you, if you're really good attentive japa, means as soon as you chant japa you rem- or kirtan, you remember Krishna's pastimes. He says otherwise why are you reading the books? If you can't remember them while you're chanting. He said that is inattention, inattention and uh, deficiency in Krishna consciousness. So am I reading the books? How am I going to think about Krishna when I'm chanting if I never hear anything about Krishna? Those are choices. What do I do for my, you know, recreation time? What do I do for my hobbies? Those are, we all have to have, Krishna says in the sixth chapter, even yogis have to have recreation. Those, those are choices. Do I take intoxication or not? Those are choices. Do I have an illicit affair or not? Those are choices. Those are things that, that we choose to do or not do. Then if my mind is focused on Krishna... When ecstasy comes, what do I do? Do I go, oh, I don't want to be a sadhya. Stop the ecstasy, stop the ecstasy, make it go away. You know, what do we do? Or do we relish it? Do we say, oh, how kind my guru is, how kind Krishna is, that they're giving this fallen soul something ecstatic. And do we go deep into it? Or do we run away from it? When people talk about Krishna, do we change the subject or do we go deeper into it? What do we do when, there, when some emotional attachment comes for the Lord? Which if we're following this process, it does. Yes? Yes? When it comes, how do we respond to it? Do we push it away? Do we deny it? Do we say that we're not advanced enough? Do we say we don't want to be artificial? Do we basically tell Krishna to go home? You know, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Here I am. Oh, what are you doing here? I'm not a pure devotee. Go away. Krishna, come back when I'm a pure devotee. It's like, but you just called me. So how, how do we respond? Do, do we go further or do we pull back? And we always have that choice. Always. We're going to be given it again and again and again and again. How do we respond to treating other living entities? Because that's usually the worst of the offenses. Although sometimes we really have problems with some of these other ones. Some people really have problems with 
the Shastra or thinking that Krishna consciousness is a karmic activity, some kind of mechanical activity. But how do we treat other living? This is also a choice. Am I nice to people or am I mean to people? Do I try to overlord people or do I try to serve people? People, animals, bugs, plants, all living entities. So these are our, our choices. Now you can say, do we eternally make a choice? Yes, we do eternally make a choice. It's not that when you, when you achieve Krishna Prema, you stop making choices. The, the devotees in the spiritual world are basically saying yes in eternal now. You understand? Eternally in the, in the now of the spiritual world, they are saying yes to Krishna. But of course, that doesn't mean that it's a struggle to make that choice. Just like any of us who used to be non-vegetarians previously, Every day we're making a choice to be a vegetarian. Every meal we're making a choice to be a vegetarian. But is that a, a, a struggle? Is it a struggle? No, it's not a struggle at all. I mean, sometimes you may have to take care. You're shopping and you may have to look at the label or something. But it's not some kind of an emotional struggle. Or... I would, I would assume after a while in Krishna consciousness, following the regulative principles is like that. You know, we're not like, oh my God, I got to have some alcohol and some tobacco, and you know, it just you don't even think about it. But still, we're making a choice. Does this clear to? We're still making a choice. It's not that alcohol and tobacco and marijuana and everything have disappeared from society. If we wanted to take them, we could. Correct. It is a choice, but it's a choice that's become so automatic and so much a part of us that we don't feel like we're making a choice. It just feels like who we are. So eventually our relationship with Krishna becomes like that. It becomes just automatic. It's still a choice. It's still a yes. But it's a choice that's flowing so naturally. You understand? It's, just, it's something that's just flowing so naturally. There's so much there that it's not something that one is struggling with. So I apologize that this is a little late. It was very long purport and very one of the most uh, important verses in the Bhagavatam, so I wanted to give it full attention. Um, I don't think we have time for questions. Do we have time for questions? Yes? Prabhu? Yeah. So we go maybe three, four minutes if you want. Yes? Generally, uh, engagement in bhakti goes from the body to the mind to the heart to the soul in a gradual progression. And we talk about this in our seminar, Liberation Through Sound, which we got from Bhakti Began Swami. And there it talks about the four levels of speech, Vaikarivak, which is of the mouth, Majumavak, which is of the mind, Pasyantivak, which is of the heart, and Padavak, which is of the soul. So generally, we start bhakti just with the body. We eat some prasada and we chant the holy name. We don't, we, we're not engaging our mind because we don't even know anything about Krishna. 
And by doing that, we become a little purified so we can engage the mind. And the mind is also part. And that's when actually bhakti begins, when the mind is engaged. That's the beginning of sadhana bhakti. Then that starts changing the desires in the heart. As the desires change, then the soul wakes up and the the soul starts reviving the relationship with Krishna. But again, these are not discrete steps. There can be some engagement of the soul even in the very beginning. But generally it goes like that, which is what Prabhupada's talking about in this purport. And we'll see that also when we study Manashiksha. Raghunathas Goswami is going, he goes speech, body, mind, heart. Is his progression. Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur in Madhurya Kanamani goes body, speech, mind. And then later heart and later soul. But when he's talking about an artist. But he said it doesn't always have to happen in that order. Sometimes it happens in a different order. Ultimately, we want to engage everything. I hope that answers your question. That was a sutra answer. It's like one of these things that has a two-hour discussion and you try to answer it in, in two minutes. And you're always thinking, you're not really answering it. Anybody else? Yes? Well, devotional service is always a matter of mercy. Look, walking is a matter of mercy too. Even to be able to walk, to be able to eat, to be able to digest is a matter of mercy. If it was up to us, we would never get sick. We would never get injured. (laughs) So the ability to function even on the material platform is a matter of mercy. Some people can't see, some people can't taste, some people can't smell, some people can't walk, some people can't think. It's always mercy. Mercy responds to our desires, whether they're material desires or spiritual desires. That's always there. But the struggle we have in this world where I say, I want this, but I don't always do what I want, that's, uh, we'll discuss that also with Manashiksha, that's due to our attachment to lust, anger, and envy, as Krishna explains in the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita. We're not really innocent victims. So again, we may think making a choice means that I'm struggling and I fail because that's how we experience choice in a, in a materially conditioned state. Yes, I want to choose to lose weight, but I'm struggling and I keep eating the cake anyway. You know? This is, this is basically how we, you know, 
I, I'm choosing to be nice to people, but I end up yelling at the people that I love the most anyway. And, and, and it seems to us that our choice isn't enough. But I tried to give examples of cases where our choice is enough, where we're not struggling at all. There are certain things that we've chosen at such a level that there's no more struggle. We don't think of those as choices anymore because we're not struggling with them. We tend to think choice means something I'm struggling with because then I become very aware of the fact that I'm making an active choice. The struggle makes the fact of my choice very prominent in my consciousness. But many things we don't struggle with at all in any way whatsoever are still choices. Any of the four regulative principles that we have no struggle with whatsoever, they're still choices. That was my point. They're definitely choices. We could choose not to do those things or to do those things. We could, but we don't. And there may be some aspects of bhakti, positive practice that are like that for us. where we don't experience it as a struggle. There may be some elements of our bhakti process that, you know, maybe we love to read the Shastra. Maybe we love to worship the deities. Maybe we love to chant our japa. Maybe we love to do kirtan. And we don't experience those things as a choice struggle kind of thing. But there's still a choice. You follow you know, if I love reading Prabhupada's books and there's no struggle at all, oh, I don't know if I want to read. Ah, oh, I guess I should. I'm supposed to. Yeah, yeah. And I just read them because I love them. I'm still choosing to read them. So once we awaken our original state of prema with the Lord, everything we're doing is flowing. There's no struggle, but it's still a choice. Is that all right? But as far as mercy, mercy responds to our desires, both material and spiritual. Okay, we should definitely... You had something? Because it's getting really late. We can be tolerant and compassionate because if we're honest, we probably have something like that we're doing ourselves. It may not be something gross, maybe something subtle. But we probably have something that we're struggling with that we keep going back to. Yeah. 
I really like what Jesus said. He said, if you try to get the speck out of your brother's eye, first get the log out of your own eye. And then you'll be able to see better to get the speck out of your brother's eye. But there are some people we can't help also. Some people are so stuck that you just, you just, you know, maybe someone else can help them, but maybe it's not you. Maybe you can help them with other things, but not that. So certain people with certain things, I just, I just don't go there with them at all because I can't, I'm not the right person. Or I'm not the right person now. Maybe I'll be the right person two years from now, but I try to have compassion. I've been stuck. Haven't you been stuck? So how am I going to criticize somebody else for being stuck? I've been stuck with things for years. Have we been stuck with things we didn't know we were stuck? We thought we were doing the right thing. And one day we realized, oh my God, I'm totally doing the wrong thing. And I've been stuck here. And people have been telling me for five years. You know, all my near and dear ones, you know, not only my enemies, but my friends, have been telling me for the last few years, hey, you have a problem. You have a problem. I don't have a problem. They have a problem. And one day... By the grace of the Lord, you see, oh, I do have a problem. And I've been stuck in this problem for years. And why didn't anyone tell me? Oh, they did tell me. <laughs> why didn't I fix it? I didn't listen. And then you go, wow. <laughs> and then you get unstuck. So if that happens to me, which has happened to me many times, how can I not be compassionate on somebody else? Then we're just talking about a matter of time if they're in the process. And then the ultimate issue, what does it matter 20 years or 20 seconds in in the ultimate issue of eternal time? It becomes kind of silly. But sometimes somebody's just not ready to hear something and you have to back off and leave them alone. That's also some practical humility. I don't have the ability to fix everybody right now. You know, that's, and that's okay. Let them. Is that okay? Maybe I do. Maybe I just don't deal with that person at all. Some people are so stuck in something so offensive that you just have to say, "All respects to you from very far away." You know, I have people like that. It's just like all respects to you from very far away. And other people, I can deal with them in some things as long as I don't touch that thing. That's just a taboo area. And I just leave it alone. I've said it once or twice or three times, and I'm not going to, and all I get is resistance. So it's like, okay, it's just it's not for me to mess with. Let Krishna mess with it in his own time. You know. So that you have to see. You know, what, what kind of relationship can you have? Most of us are stuck with something. If we didn't relate to anybody who was stuck with anything, then we wouldn't have very many friends. And I wouldn't be able to be with myself. That would be a big problem. Yes? Uh huh. It should come to a point where it's constant and internalized. At a certain point, it becomes constant and internalized. This is according to nectar devotion. And sometimes manifests externally when it gets really intense. So it's always going on internally. Prabhupada talks about it starts external, then the devotee internalizes it and is feeling the ecstasy constantly internally 
And sometimes when it gets really, really intense, it manifests externally despite their efforts not to. Um, in the beginning, yes, it's unsteady, of course. So the beginning is unsteady, so there'll be, you know, periodic glimpses, periodic off and on, yes. That's the, that, that's the symptom of us not being at nista, that our, our attraction for Krishna, our detachment from matter is, is, is unsteady. So this is the perennial question, how do I become fixed? How do I become fixed in ecstasy and fixed in my detachment? So to do that, one has to eliminate at least 50% of the influence of passion and ignorance. Nista is 50% goodness. When the mind is at least 50% goodness, it can be fixed. The natural state of the mind is to be in the mode of goodness. It's a product of the mode of goodness. So how do we do that? Our bhakti process, there's other yoga processes that do it in various ways, but our bhakti process is we do that by meditating on Krishna with attachment. That is our bhakti process. Not just the, acti- not just the gross activities of bhakti. If we do the gross activities of bhakti, we're not really doing bhakti according to Bhagavad Gita 12th chapter. And then the unsteadiness is going to be there for a long time. So if we're just doing Krishna karmani, we're just doing activities for Krishna, and we're not engaging our consciousness in Krishna, then we'll struggle with this unsteadiness for a very, 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 very long time. But bhakti means we're not only doing the activities of bhakti with our body, and this is very much what, what Prabhupada's saying in this purport today, but we're trying to focus our mind on Krishna and changing our desires. When we do that, our mind naturally gets more and more influenced by spirituality, which is even higher than the mode of goodness, and naturally then the mind comes to be in the mode of goodness. And then when the mind is can fix like that, then we can fix Krishna in the mind, and then we'll, we'll become gradually, Prabhupada uses gradually, those ecstasies will become there more and more and more and more and more of the time. Instead of, you know, five seconds every two weeks, it'll start being five seconds in a day, and it'll start being ten minutes in a day, and it'll start being twenty minutes in a day, and it'll gradually, gradually increase as the influences of passion and ignorance decrease. So that's the, the dhyaya there, the, the meditational aspect is that okay? I really do have to stop now, or everybody will complain that they're hungry. Shiva Prabhupada Ki The most exciting part of class is the end, right? <laughs>